Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we are weak. You are strong. Jesus, keep us from all wrong. And we will be satisfied as long as you walk close to us, even as we walk close to you. Even as we sang, Lord, I pray, Lord, when our feeble life is over and time for us will be no more, Father, time is passing by. Six months of this year are over. Another half year left. Father, I pray that we will be, Lord, circumspect. We'll walk not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Father, we'll be tuned into your spirit, to your spirit, O Lord. Our minds will be focused. We'll be sober-minded, we'll be vigilant. Father, grant us grace to that end this morning. And even as now we meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. Speak to us this morning. We need you, O Lord. We need you. We need you. Father, to hear, to speak, to obey. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. Strengthen us this morning to hear, to grant us concentration, come against every spirit of distraction. Calm us, Lord, this morning. That we'll be still in your presence and know that you are God. Grant us grace to that end. And anoint us even as we speak and even as we hear. Keep us from wrong. Keep us close to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So in the light of uh, all the sermons that we've been listening to uh, in our church uh, for quite some time now, um, and I've been meditating upon uh, the last two Wednesday Wednesday sermon, the Sunday sermon, and been listening to it over and over again. Um, You know, one guy put a prayer request, second B, maths teacher. Well... (laughs) Really, that's a very good request. I, I, that's my, that's been my experience. I mean, I've been in uh, academia for quite some time, and I think I have a fair bit of judgment, and when I'm, and I'm entitled to my opinion. I could be wrong, uh, but you know, the very few professors who are good teachers, and very few teachers. I mean, I found that even in university, so few teachers, a lot of professors, very few teachers. Um, and it's not different, different in Christendom too. Very few teachers speak the authentic word, who have a burden for their flock. And therefore never lose sight of that, no, just hold on to every word as if your life depends upon it. Listen to the sermons over and over again. And, and this is one of the tricks that I've learned because of media now. I play the sermon at one and a half times speed so that I can listen to it at least twice in the same time. So you can do that, alright? So today's message I've titled does Jesus believe in you? How many of you believe in Jesus? Hands up in the air? Oh, that's nice. We'll find out if Jesus believes in you. That's the question that I want to ask. 
Does Jesus believe in me? It's a very important question. And it's a very scriptural question. I'm not going extra biblical at all. It's right there in scripture. But before I go to that primary portion in scripture, I want to just look at one verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3. A few verses from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse um, 1 onwards. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And in spite of all that, verse 5 will say, they will have a form of godliness, but they have no power. They'll have a form of religiosity. They'll, they'll possibly be regular at church uh, week after week uh, or, or at least uh, Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after, if not week after week, at least on, on, on first Sundays or I don't know. Some, it says that only average, in, in the US, the statistics says only 20% of the average churchgoers are regular every Sunday. That's, that's a very, uh, exorbitant estimate. I believe it's even more conservative than that. So there's only a form of godliness, but they don't have power. There's no power inside of them. There's no life. The life of Christ is not there. And I just wanted to look at that. Why? No. Looked at, Last Wednesday, scientific or scientific. And it's interesting, you know, it's um, how Jesus debunks the scientific. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. And that is from where I get my uh, title for my message this morning. 23 to 25. Now when Jesus, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Love that. Many believed. I believe in Jesus. All said that. I believe in Jesus. In his name, and he's, when they saw the signs which he did, remember the signs that he, that he did, so many signs he did, and so many of them believed. And on the other hand, but Jesus did not commit himself. See that? Fantastic. Jesus on his part, he did not commit himself to them. And by the way, the word believe and the word commit in the Greek come from the same word, pisteo, from which we get the word pistis, faith, faithful, believe. So commit and believe are the same word in the original. But, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I just wanted to look at a few more uh, translations to get a, a, a complete picture. I mean, a, a better picture, not a complete picture, a better picture of uh, what he's trying to say in verse 24. But Jesus, this is the ESV, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to, to them. Uh, the, the living Bible but Jesus did not trust them for he knew mankind to the core. Love that. Another translation, the CEV. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts and he would not let them have power over him. I love that. 
In other words, they all said, we believe in you, Jesus. But, uh, they believed in Jesus. But Jesus did not believe in them. You see, that's a problem with um, scientific people. Scientific. Okay. People who run after signs and wonders. Miracles actually, honestly speaking, miracles don't change the hearts of men. And you know it. I mean, and, and scripture is replete with, with, with examples of people who experienced mighty miracles, incredible signs and wonders, um, frogs in their beds, and they didn't want the frogs to go. I mean, unbelievable signs. You, like, God bent over backwards to show his power to so many people. But you know what? But they still do not believe in him. And it's quite possible that you might find people here in this congregation. We need to ask ourselves this question. Does Jesus believe in us? What does it mean? So how do we check if Jesus believes in me or not? How do we know? So the question is, uh, does Jesus believe? Does, does Jesus trust me? How do, how, how do we know that? And, and, and you'll see, and you'll see examples. I'm going to go through some scripture to see patterns of people. I mean, from their lives, we learn lessons. And most of them is from the New, New Testament, a few from the Old Testament. And through the Gospel of God and John, the first man who was this, this, this intellectual uh, Jewish guy who was a rabbi, who was a Pharisee, who was the part of the Sanhedrin, he sees the signs and wonders and miracles and he goes to Jesus in the night. And you know this famous intercourse between, um, between, uh, uh, Nicodemus and Jesus. John's Gospel chapter 3, you'll find this in verses 1 onwards. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This, this man came to Jesus by night and, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher uh, from God. You know, trying to flatter Jesus. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know, trying to make talk and trying to flatter him possibly, I don't know. And Jesus, no, he does not give him opportunity to flatter him come straight to the point. He says, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, in his incredible, I mean, his, his scientific brains, this is what he says, Nicodemus said to him, can a man how can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, Jesus is saying, you want me to trust you. I will never trust a man who has not experienced new birth. First thing, you want me to believe in you. I will never trust a man who is not born from Above, just the way I am born from above. And I, and I, and I, and I, honestly speaking, you know, sometimes I, I, I go to different, different churches, uh, and even in our church, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure how many of us really have the assurance that we are born again. Do we really have the assurance that we are truly born again? Born of God, born from above. Or are we being presumptuous that 
You're born, but not born again. See, uh, how do we know? You know, how do we know? How do we know from Scripture that we are truly born again? In First Peter chapter two, look at this is what it says. You know, the first thing I know if I'm really, really born again. This is First Peter chapter two, two verse two. This is what uh, Peter will say: Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now. That you have tasted that the Lord is good. The first thing I know, I'm born again when they have a intense supernatural desire for the word of God. Because I have tasted the goodness of God. You see, you know, you, ha- you have to see babies, okay. I mean, uh, my sister-in-law has twins. And the elder one is ravenous. She, when she is hungry, she, the whole home comes down. And she cannot wait. She just, she just drinks, drinks, drinks the milk. And she spills the milk. And when the milk gets over, she starts crying. We used to have Rishi, I don't know, when he was growing up. Whenever he used to get angry, he used to say, Pala. That's it. The whole world has to stop. And he used to go to this position and he used to say, give me my milk. You see? And, and, and this is like, when you see that newborn baby and the way it's hungering and the way she cries for milk. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't care if you haven't slept the whole night. I want my milk. That's it, finished. Mother gets up like that. And then you have to nurse the baby. There's an intense craving for the word of God. And I know, I, I, I know, you know, even in my own life, there was a time in my life for six months from morning to evening there was only devouring the word how much I got of it I don't know but I just read from Genesis to Revelation and parts of the Bible over and over and over and over again because I was craving for that milk you see that that is how I know is there an intense craving for the word of God in your life it's a craving to crave for just not ordinary milk but Pure spiritual milk. Why do I have this craving? Because I tasted the goodness of God. And we, we so, so glibly say, right? Worship leader always says, God is good. All the time. All the time. God is, really? Have you tasted the goodness of God? Have you tasted the goodness of God? Thy loving kindness is better than? Oh, really? Really? Actually, the if people with the ESV Bible and most scholars will say it's not loving kindness. Thy steadfast love is better. Are you sure? Yes, his steadfast love is better than life. My words are spirit and life. I've tasted him. You know, with that song that we sing in Telugu, Ruchi Chuchi Erigitini Yehova Uttamudaniyu. Really, he's Uttam. He's the Uttam Purush. Did you experience, did you taste the goodness of God that He's been good to me? How, how do I know that I've tasted the goodness of God when there has been genuine repentance? You see, when there is no genuine repentance in our lives, we have not tasted the goodness of God. You see? God, see, we sang that song, one of my favorite songs when I was growing up in the mainland church. We used to sing it without meaning it. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, 
to receive glory, glory and honor and glory and honor thy and power. For thou hast created all things created. Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they have been created. For thou art worthy, O Lord, for his pleasure. You know, one of the very scary sermons that you should read sometimes, and if you want to really get scared, is Jonathan Edwards' famous, 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 famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And you know, in that sermon he says, God is under no obligation to withhold his wrath towards the people on the earth. His very character cries for justice, 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 justice. It's only restraining power of God which is holding him back to pour his wrath. That is the reason why John the Baptist will tell the Pharisees, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who has warned you? It's a wrath of God which has been made, it's been expressed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who have suppressed the truth in, in, in unrighteousness. There's a, there's a God who's really angry. I mean, I, I, you should read um, the, 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 the first five books of Moses. And sometimes, you know, the better to read, and I'm, I'm discovering that over a period of time, you know, we get this, uh, you should read the Bible only in King James by version. Uh, recently I've been to, I went to a talk. This gentleman over there, he said, oh, please don't project anything other than the King James Bible. And most Gultis don't understand King James Bible. They don't understand, really, honestly. Sorry, Telugus don't understand. I mean, I was also addict, uh, was also of the KJV and when, because one, one day I was hearing a Bible teacher who, who said, how many of you guys are NIV positive? And I got a shock. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'll read the KJV Bible. See, but most of the time I didn't understand half of it. I read through several portions of the Bible not knowing what was being said because it's intense. Sometimes you read a different, I mean like pastor says, read the good news Bible sometimes. Read it. No problem. Read the living translation, the living Bible, paraphrase. And I was reading recently through the book of Numbers. You know, uh, one of the Levites are set apart for the, for the service uh, in the temple. And one of the things that after God consecrates the Levites for the service of the temple, he says, Levites ensure the people don't come close to the tabernacle. Otherwise, I will break forth over them in my anger. So what the Levites were supposed to do, they had to guard the anger of God from breaking forth towards the people because that's exactly what happened, right? Remember when the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, is captured back from uh, the Philistine territory into, into Israel, when they send, in, send them in the two, uh, on the, on the bullock cart and then they all look at the Ark of the Covenant. So many people, thousands of people die because God breaks forth in his anger. He's a holy God. He's a vengeful, wrathful God. And, and, and you know what? He restrains his anger because he doesn't want to consume the, his creation, you see. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite, my, I, I think I mentioned this in several uh, uh, of my messages. One of my favorite movies is, is Schindler's List. I've watched it several times. Oh, I, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a scene, there's a conversation between Ammon and, and, and Schindler. Okay. And Ammon is this, uh, is this concentration camp, 
He he's, he heads the concentration camp. He's a he's a he's a ruthless devil, a Nazi of the he's a of the he's, he belongs to the SS party. And what he does is, when he gets up in the morning, he takes his rifle and he practices shooting on the Jews in the concentration camp. So he's just one random random girl is moving. He takes the gun, boom, shoots. Wicked, vengeful, nasty devil. And Schindler, on the other hand, is a, is a is a is a benevolent. I mean, he's the guy who wants to save the Jews. And during a particular in a in a, in a party, Ammon is drunk, and and Schindler is asking Ammon. He asks a question, Ammon. Ammon, why do you think the Jews are scared of us? Why do they why do they fear us? And Ammon says, you know why they fear us? Because we have the power to kill them. And Shindra looks at Ammon and he says, Ammon, Ammon, you call that power, Ammon? You call that power? I'll tell you what is power, Ammon. You know, there was this king, an emperor, and he came to know that one of his subjects was plotting to kill him. And this guy who was plotting to kill the emperor comes to know that the emperor has, has known that this guy is plotting to kill him and he and he's scared he's 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 so scared of the emperor is going to cut off chop off his head he rushes to the palace of the emperor falls on his face before the emperor and he says please lord forgive me i don't know what the emperor does he looks at am the, the the guy and he says go and he you know says amon amon he has every justification to kill him but he restrains himself that is power that is power. You see? You don't understand. You know, sometimes we, in the, in the New Covenant Church, especially in the, in the Gentile Church, we don't understand the holiness of God, how holy He is. The best of people, when they saw the glory of God, they said, woe is me. I am coming apart in my seams. I'm just falling apart. I'm undone. You see, but you know what? He restrains. He restrains. And I see even in our own church. Restrain, restrain, restrain. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes, you don't have to turn there. Just because God, God does not execute judgment on people, people's heart is bent towards evil. He's just restraining his hand. He's restraining his hand, hand over his life, over our, over our lives. And what, one of the things that gospel does, when it, you have really truly been apprehended by the gospel, you know what is going to happen to you? You are, your eyes will be open to the holiness of God and the depravity of your own soul. And you will say, Lord, all I deserve is judgment, but you have been good to me, Lord. You have been good. You have been good. That is experiencing new birth. You know, a lot of people they actually haven't experienced new birth. They just came. Uh, somebody they said a prayer. They had some emotional experience, but they have never, ever, ever been confronted by the holiness of God. Hmm. How do I know this? This is if, uh, Romans chapter two, verse four. Or do you despise the riches of His what? Read that. Goodness, forbearance, long suffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God has led you to what? Repentance. You see, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, you've tasted him. You say, you know what, Lord? I want to know you, Lord. I want to know your ways. I want to please you. I don't want to grieve you. You could have just wiped me off from the face of the earth. You could have, you could have condemned me to an eternal hell away from your, 
from your goodness. But Lord, in your goodness, you extended your mercy toward me. I'm forever grateful. I want to know you. You know what? There is a sincere craving to know the word of God. Do you have a craving for the word of God? My dear brothers and sisters, do you sincerely crave? Tell me how many days you can go without eating. How many days you can go without eating the word of God? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how much, if, 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 if God were to look at your soul today, this morning, does he look at a famished, you don't have proper nutrition, and if I were to see, you, do, you, do, have you seen people who have malnutrition, have you seen children? And, and when you look at their physical bodies, do they, are, do they look attractive? I mean, if God were to see our spiritual souls, does he see attraction in that? You know, how babies, when they are whole, how they attract us with the cute little things and their and the cheeks growing because they drink the milk and they're, they're so beautiful, their lips are rosy, the eyes are blue, fair, etc., etc. Why? Because they've been feeding on their mother's milk. Do you feed on God's milk? Hmm? Question? Can you go without eating the food? That's the first question I need to ask myself, you know. And then second, huh? how do I know that I'm really born again? Anyone born of God refuses to practice sin. <laughs> because God's seed abides in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. There is one thing there is inside of us. It's not that we don't struggle with sin. But there is, an ins- there is a, a desire. I don't want to sin, Lord. I don't want to sin. Do you have the desire inside of you? Or do you succumb so easily to temptation? Another verse. We know that anyone born of God, this is 1 John chapter 5 verse 19. We know that anyone born of God does not keep on sinning. The one who was born of God protects him. The evil one cannot touch him. What does it tell me? It tells me there is a paradigm shift in our attitude towards sin. So the sin is I hate it. That's what I hate it, Lord. How much do I hate it? Remember, remember Phineas. You know, you know what God says about Phineas. This guy Phineas was as zealous as I was about sin. He was just not zealous. He was as zealous as I was about sin. So even if Moses did not lift up his spear, this guy takes a spear and he thrusts the two guys. Who are committing adult fornication in the camp of Israel. The question therefore, otherwise, am I truly born again? Otherwise, really question, you know, am I truly born again? You know, every time you should, you say, you know what, whenever I come to this church, I always have this question, am I saved? You guys are too tough. I'll tell you something. You do not see that 10,000, 10 million, trillion, billion, billion, trillion blessings that God is actually pouring out over your lives because of the toughness of this pulpit. You don't see it. If God were to open your spiritual eyes, remember this guy, Gehazi, I can't see your Lord, I can't see your Lord, I can't see. God says, Elisha, Elisha says, God, just open his eyes once. You have no idea the protection that you enjoy in this church. How much God has protected your relationship with God, your marriages, your what have you. 
from just being destroyed. So, question is, if God is, I mean, if Jesus has to believe in me, first thing he has says, are you really born again? Do you see, do I see life in you that you're truly born again? You know, you could be, you could have believed, you could have heard a message, you could have also been baptized after hearing the message, but never be truly born again. Do you know that? That is the reason why many of the people who come to our church, they say, Anna, I want to get baptized. I got baptized once, but that was not baptism at all. That was just confirmation. That I'm a member of the so-and-so church. I don't want to name the church. That confirmation that when I die, you'll give me six feet under. That is all. And when I get married, you'll give me a certificate. That is all it is worth. In eternity has absolutely no value at all. And when many people come to us, they say, do you have a burial ground? Why? I don't know where I'll be buried. <sighs> I mean, what a stupid question that is. What a stupid objection not to come, not to come to our church. See, you could be baptized, you could have heard, you could have believed, you could have some kind of an outward experience, but not truly born again. How, how do I know it? There's this guy called Simon the Sorcerer. He's at chapter 8. Let's see that from the Bible. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and, and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. It is not that this man has the power of God. Uh-huh. This man personifies the power of God. This is, I am God, basically. But when they, when, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Simon himself also got baptized. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were being done. You see, there was no genuine conversion. There was only this, this, uh, this, this, this drama that was going on and he only got attracted to the drama. There was no genuine change in his heart. How do I know it? This is what happens later on. Then Peter, uh, Peter and John, they go there and uh, they ask the question, do you, have you received the Holy Spirit in Samaria? They haven't received. So they lay hands on them and they all receive the Holy Spirit and Simon the sorcerer also looks at it and he wants the power. You see? When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them and they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And you know, Peter, I love this man Peter now. Peter has become a very discerning apostle now. He already... Condemned two two men to to one one husband and wife team to death. Okay, discernment is like incredible. This guy is in the spirit. He sees through and through. Look at what his diagnosis of this guy is. Peter said to him, your money perish with you. Because you thought the gift of God would be purchased with money. You have neither part. You see, you are not even a part of our church. For your heart is not right with God. 
Repent therefore of this your wickedness. And pray if God perhaps the thought of and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and you are bound by iniquity. You see that you, you still have not been delivered. You are still bound in sin. And you just want power. You see? Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord. You know, this guy is not changing. Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. He's not saying, oh Lord, forgive me. Forgive my sin. Forgive my iniquity. Forgive my covetousness. No. He's not born again. Was he baptized? Yeah. So how do I know therefore if I'm really, really born again? There's there's an intense desire inside of me, you see, to, to, to shun away from sin. That's the reason why it says in Second uh, Timothy chapter two verse nineteen, but God's firm firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is it. You need to run away from sin. There is a running and a fleeing away from sin. Otherwise, you may have a gift. You may have a kind of a gift but you don't have power you don't you don't belong to jesus he doesn't believe in you how do i know this matthew chapter 7 verse 22 to 23 many will say to me in that day lord lord have you not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works and they will and then i will profess unto them i never knew you Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know what? In other words, you know what Jesus is saying? Read that. I don't believe in you. Your confession, I don't believe. I don't believe in you. I don't believe. (laughs) It's a very interesting example you'll find in Numbers. Numbers, this guy Balaam, I mean, is a fantastic character. Okay, you need to read this guy. Sometimes funny. A donkey is speaking to him and he's arguing with a donkey. He's not marveling at the sign. Talk about dumbness. Who was dumb, the donkey or him? And this guy goes and Balak gives him money and he and he says all kinds of things to him and, and he says, okay, fine. Whatever the Lord says, I will prophesy. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought him. You remember that story? Balaam, Balak is taking him to different vantage points from this side. Curse. Okay, do one thing. Get seven uh, seven bulls and seven rams and pre- I'll prepare an altar here and I will sacrifice and I will hear from the Lord and whatever he says, I will prophesy. So he opens his mouth now and he took up this oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram from the mountains of the east, come curse Jacob from me and come denounce Israel. I remember the pastor was praying, right? How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Is it true? Is it coming out of Balaam's mouth? Okay. And he took up his oracle. Okay, and then from the top of the rocks I see him and from the hills I behold him there a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of righteous and let my end be like his. And what is God listening? And you know what does God say when he hears that out of Balaam's mouth? Read that. 
I don't believe in you. I don't believe in you. You're saying all the right things, but I don't believe. I don't believe in you. <laughs> like we had a prayer request in the morning. Let him be drawn close to you, Jesus. And pastor said, I don't believe in you. <laughs> Are the words right? Oh yeah, they're right. I, 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 they come to, they, you should listen to students when they come to my class, okay? They come to my class, they listen to my lecture, uh, and oh, this, after the lecture is over, they want to come and do a thesis with me, and they will say, sir, I want to work with you. I look at them, I know them. You know what? Sir, I, I enjoyed your class, sir. It was fantastic. The lecture was good. Etc, etc, etc. And then they just try to flatter, and sometimes girls come and do a song and dance also. Okay, it happened. I mean, I've seen that in, in in universities, right? Girls don't have any shame these days. Okay, I mean, I worked in IIIT for about eight years. The batch of girls you should see the dresses shorter and tighter by the batch. Unbelievable! They'll come and say, "Sir, I like you." Like, you know what I say? I don't believe in you. You have no idea about robotics. No idea. They cannot sustain. They'll give up in the middle and run away. I don't believe. Why? How do, how do, how does, see, look at, look at this guy, you know, look at this guy's number, number started chapter 31 verses, uh, 8, 8 and 16. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Bear, they also killed with the sword. Did he die the die, death of the righteous? No. He was condemned with the ungodly, with the unrighteous. Why? Because he caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of Israel. What was Balaam using? You know what Balaam was using? He had a gift. But you should read carefully scripture even though guy has got a prophetic gift. How God records his prophecy. So he says, Numbers chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as the other times to seek to use what? Sorcery. He was using sorcery. But did he have a gift? But you know what? When your heart is given over to covetousness, when your heart is not right with the Lord, even if you speak the truth, God says that is sorcery. You see, that is the reason why Jesus never accepts con- co- commendation from demons. Have you seen Jesus accepting commendation? We know who you are, the son of the son of the mighty God. Shh, shh, shh. Shut up, please. Just come out. Please come out. I don't want commendation from you. You are a lying spirit. You are already a liar. And you are trying to tell the truth. So even if you tell the truth, it is a lie. I don't believe in you. Because correctness of doctrine doesn't mis- make the guy true because demons also believe but they tremble, right? But they're still lying spirits even if they confess the truth. You know, so, so whenever a devil is giving you commendation, ask it to shut its mouth. 
I don't want your commentary. That's exactly what happened to Paul, right? Paul and uh, Silas, if I'm right, they were going in this uh, city, I think in Philippi, right? And then this girl comes and says, oh, listen to them, the servants of the Most High God, constantly bugging them. And he looks at them and says, we don't need your commendation. Shut your mouth and come out. Shut your mouth, come out. We don't need your commendation. We don't want to take commendation from demons. Demons don't have to testify about us. But who you are, we are, we, how can we believe you? You are a lying spirit. Even if you speak the truth, you are lying. You see? So God says, I don't believe in you. This thing is there in many believers. <laughs> speak, they speak the truth. Even when they speak the truth, they are lying. Joshua chapter 13 verse 22. This is about Balaam. The Israelites had also killed Balaam, son of Pure, who used magic ah, to tell the future. You, on the other hand, you have to see at one authentic prophet. Okay, One authentic prophet. You know what? Whenever you find authentic prophets, they will scare you. They will scare you. Really. I mean, it's... You, you, I, I, this is what happens, you know. Whenever you find authentic people, you love them and you hate them. You will have a love-hate relationship with them. Honestly, this is true in my life. I, I, you know, I had Shibu, right? Shibu was the one guy who used to speak the truth to everybody without compromise. And I knew, I knew people in my batch. I mean, I liked them, really, honestly. I'm not that better than these guys, but you know... <laughs> So many guys hated, but they also loved him. They hated him because they used to, he used to call them to their face. You know, I remember once, uh, it's amazing this guy, okay. Even yesterday he sent me a message and I heard him, okay. Vijay, he said he sent me a message. Oh, Vijay, listen to this, okay. All men struggle with sexual passion and you are a minister. You need to keep that under control. Listen to this message by Zach Poonan. I already heard it, okay, several, several months back. I said, I know, I'll hear it again. I heard part of it. It's always like that. So I remember once we were traveling in the train, we were going to a, to a, to a youth camp. And, you know, all the girls and the boys were together in that particular compartment. And, you know, we were all chatting through the night. And, and Shibu was on the other side, spraying. And I just went to him and I just kind of listened to him. You know, he's saying, Lord... The girls and boys are together. Lord, protect them. Keep them pure, Lord. Let not unwholesome talk come out of their mouths. Let not flirtatious spirits flow, Lord. I used to look at them. And you know what? I went and told Sangeet. Sangeet, this is what he's praying. Oh, God, Shibu, Shibu. Just to hate him. But we used to love him. You know, you need to understand those kinds of people, they put boundaries around us. And because of those boundaries, we stayed within those boundaries and we are here because of those people who put boundaries around us. Who always confronted us with truth in love. You see, this, this, this happens, right? This happened. I mean, you'll see it in First Kings chapter 17, okay? Now it happened. And this is Elijah, verse 17 onwards. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. You know what she said? Can you imagine? Elijah didn't even take one single Bible study in his home. In her home, he was only eating her food. Just living in her home. 
to have a prophet like Elijah in your home and your sin not being exposed, it is impossible. It's what we call love-hate relationship with prophets. What happens? So she said to Elijah, what have I done to you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? And to kill my son? And you know, do you remember the story? And Elijah, you know, there's a miracle. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord, where? Read that. In your mouth, it is not the word of the Lord is truth. It is the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You know what God was telling Elijah? Read that. I believe you, Elijah. I believe. So, you have a hatred towards sin. Do you have a hatred towards sin? Are you fighting sin in your life? Are you fighting you are genuinely, you know, ask yourself this question. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't fall. No, no, I'm not saying, we're not talking about perfection. That is going to only stop when we die. We'll be perfect at whatever level. So when we die, if we die when we are three-year-old in the spiritual realm, we'll be perfect three-year-olds in all eternity. Okay, so are you finding sin? Or is sin conquering you? Are you overcoming sin or is sin overcoming you? Is a question. Whatever besetting sin, like pastor was praying, I loved it, and I said, you said, you said, Lord, whatever besetting sin, do you believe that? Third thing. How do I know that I'm born again? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, I'll tell you something, you know. One of the things that happens to you after you are genuinely born again, you always want to fellowship with like-minded people. You always choose company of believers. You want to be with them. You want to encourage them. You want to be encouraged by, you want to get encouraged by them. Just like Paul says that I want to, uh, you know, edify you, but that, that you, you will be edified in your faith and through your ministry, I will also be edified in my faith. You see, that's, that's what happens. I mean, I, I know so many people, even in, in our church sometimes, you know, do they really like fellowship? Do they really take opportunities? Lord, today, I want to be with my brothers. Question is, do brothers want to be around you? Huh? That's an interesting question, no? Comme de la question. In French. Do brothers want to be around you? Do they want to come and say, you know what, I like to stay with Vijay, I want to stay talk to him. When he talks to me, I get encouraged, I get motivated, I get fired up. I mean, every time, you remember, you should, you should see our conversations, okay? Sam and I and Peter and, and, and Eric, you do not know the kind of times that we enjoy when we come together and discuss the word. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. I mean, sometimes I ask, ladies, do you enjoy like that? See, you should love fellowship. 
First Peter chapter 1 verse 22 to 23. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been what? Born again. You see that? If you're truly born again, you have this craving to enjoy fellowship with other brothers and sisters. You want to be with them. You want to be around your brothers. You love them. You care for them. When you see somebody in need, you want to help them. You see that? Otherwise, you are Shriman Charsobis. I didn't say that. John says that in 1 John 4.20. You see that? Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, how can, how can they love God whom they have not seen? You know what God will say? I don't believe you. Hmm. Therefore, this is important. Love from a pure heart towards brothers. Second, you've been born again. Second, when people saw the sign, Jesus performed a sign. This is what happens. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. In other words, he was saying, you want me to be your king? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Really? Jesus is the Lord of my life. All to Jesus I surrender. Etc. On the on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Really? Is that true in your life? Jesus is my king. That's exactly what happened, right? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. He's coming. They put uh, their garments on the floor and the donkey came. They, they said, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they all thought that he was going into Pilate's office and kick him out and become the king. No. Instead, where did he go? To the temple. Jesus does not believe in us. Why? You know why, why he does not believe in us? He says in John's Gospel chapter 6, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. you know, ask this question this morning. Does Jesus really, is Jesus the Lord of your life? So when you sing your songs, does he believe in you? Or does he say, child, I don't believe in you. Next. Category of people who said we believe in Jesus. John's Gospel chapter 8. Very interesting. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see that? What will happen? You will start abiding in me, you will start, you will begin to allow me to probe you, to show areas in your life which don't align with me. 
If you truly believe in me, you will abide in my word, you will love my word, even if it is not easy for you to digest. You will love it, you will, you will treasure it. You see, what's happening over here? Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see that? No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, this is this is really probing. You see, Jesus is 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 is, is very, very serious when you say you are our teacher. You are our teacher. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? So what was he saying? I don't believe you that you say that you think that I am good. See, in other words, what is your standard? What is your standard? Um... Recently, some is a very interesting news that happened in India. How many of you heard the name Ramesh Babu Pragnananda? Oh, okay. How many chess lovers here? At least who play chess once in a while, like me? Okay. Yes. Ramesh Babu Pragnananda is 12 years, 10 months old. Okay, you you know that uh, mother is up to date in news. Okay, she knows. Okay, she's she keeps track. 12 months, 10 year old guy recently became the grandmaster from India. I was a, he was the international, he was the youngest international master and he, now he became the grandmaster. To become the grandmaster, uh, he's, uh, and uh, he's, according to the records, he's the second youngest grandmaster ever in the history of chess. The first was, uh, I think, uh, some guy from Russia, forget his name. He was 12, 10, 12 months, 7 years, a 12 years, 7 months old, and this guy, 12, 12 years, 10 months old, and uh, recently, he was from Chennai, and this guy, they came, he came back from this, uh, from this tournament, and he, and he was garlanded, etc., etc., all kinds of things happened to him. Something very interesting, you know, to become a grandmaster, I mean, I'm not a great chess, I'm not a great, I'm not a chess player at all, I just enjoy sometimes, some, some games here and there. You know, I would like to watch it, not to, not like to play it, okay, I'm just like this football guys. Oh, who like to watch football, but you're never so much interested in playing. You know, I, I think Zach was the one who said, you know what, Christianity is like a football match. There are 22 people who actually require rest and millions of people who actually require exercise who have to be in the ground. Christianity is like that. So we are, I mean, that is besides the point. But see, so I just like to watch them. And, and you know what, what happens to become a grandmaster is very interesting. To become a grandmaster, you have to play three grandmaster norm level games, meaning there'll be three tournaments. You should have played against guys who have a higher rating than you, not once, but thrice people who are better than you, who have a higher rating than you, consistently you have you should have topped the tournaments in order to get the Grandmaster norm. And recently he got the not the one, not the two, but the third, and he became the Grandmaster. What happens? When do they say that you're a great chess player? You beat people who are better than you. Now this guy comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you're good. 
So Jesus is looking, I don't believe you. What's your standard? How do you know that I'm good? It's amazing, right? Is Jesus not good? How many believe that Jesus is not good? I mean, it's like uh, Moses writing, Moses, you are the meekest man. Write it, please. Lord, Lord, I mean, is it not an oxymoron? I write it that I am the meekest man and you don't think I will not become proud? You are so humble, Moses. Even when you write it, you are so meek. Even when you write it, you are still meek. Your meekness is a fact. You are so meek that you can write that you are meek. So he writes, okay, Lord, I am the meekest man on earth. So, is Jesus not good? Yeah, he's good. Is Jesus lying? How do you know that I'm good? If if you would have said Jesus is not good, would he have, would he have would he have accepted us? John's Gospel chapter one verse forty three onwards. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, "Follow me." Now Philip was a, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him." Of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, Jesus is what? Not good. Okay, then Jesus saw Nathanael come to him and he said of him, Behold, truly an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. You know what he's saying? I believe you, Nathaniel. I believe you. You are so transparent. Even when you said that I am not good. (laughs) You are so guileless. I believe you. You see that? One guy comes and says, Jesus, you are very good. Good master. I don't believe you. (laughs) Another guy comes and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That means, Jesus, you are not really good. You know what Jesus says? I believe you. It's amazing. And you know what commendation he gives? Behold, a true Israelite, another translation says, true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Who's saying this? The king of the universe, the creator of the world, he looks at all the Israelites and he looks at Israel and, and this guy and he says, you know, this guy, absolutely transparent, no guy on him at all. You know what? I will give my right hand to get a commendation like that from Jesus. My right hand. If Jesus were to say, Vijay, you are the... Guy who has no... Can you imagine that comment? Think about it, think about it. Vijay, truly a GTCite. Because I mean, I'm just putting it in my context. In whom there is no guile. No pretense. Transparent. What would happen to you? What would happen to you? I believe you. Does Jesus believe you? You know, he doesn't care. You know, he's not going to flatter anybody. He's just going to tell it as it is. As it is. He's not going to flatter. No? I, I, I remember, right? Uh, I, I know this is, this is Muthyala Mugu, right? Muthyala Mugu. There's one story, there's a movie in Telugu. Oh, long time back, there was a movie called Muthyala Mugu. There's a politician in the movie. That politician used to get flattered and people used to take advantage of him. And after getting take, being taken advantage, he came, comes to realize that these people have taken advantage of him. 
So he said, from next time, I am not going to get flattered. So in order, so what does he do? He he hires a guy who plays the Murudangam, Dolak. Okay? And he puts a Chevelo Puvu. Okay? You know, in Telugu guys know what Chevelo Puvu means. Okay? Okay, he puts a Chevelo Puvu. And if anybody comes to the to the politician and says, Ayagaru, Mirichala, go, this guy starts off. And Ayagaru, Yenduko Ayagaru, why is he, why is he playing the so, so, so if he praises him more, he'll play even more loudly and he says, sorry, sorry I'm not going to say anything. You see, that's, that's how many people are just flatterers. Flatter! That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You know what he said? Whenever they play the music, the music, the trumpet, the, this thing, Everybody should bow before that idol. You king, live forever. That's what they thought. And they lied to him. Left, right and center. Every day they know this was going to die. He's going to die tomorrow. Okay? King, live forever. If you've seen the movie 300, right? You know, you've seen the movie 300, how that guy thinks that he's God. You see? He's God. King live for a flatterers, dime a dozen in Christendom who will not tell you the truth. You know, Jesus looks at all of them and says, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. They come and flatter. They'll come and say, Pastor Garu, I know, even in our own church, so many people who are such flatterers. But they were snakes of the first order and we didn't even know. They would come and flatter. Music going on. Oh, Pastor Vijay, I heard your sermon. Oh, fantastic. You know, I am thinking, Baba, that's one of the worst sermons I've ever given. You should come and ask Pastor James for, for reviews, he'll tell you. Oh, flatterers. But this, you know, one guy, Jesus looks at him and he says, boy, this guy, not a flatterer. No guile. That is the reason why you know, Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose iniquities, whose sin is forgiven, whose trans- whose, uh, who, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed! Tanya! Oh, saints, to get a commendation like that from Jesus. And you know what? Look at Jesus, looks at him and he says, you know what Jesus? He says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel. Truly an Israelite. Nathaniel is surprised. He's shocked. Nathaniel said to him, not our Nathaniel, but Nathaniel. How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, (laughs) I know, I know people who are without guile. They are like me. They are my kind. They're my kind. <sighs> when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi. No flattery, you see. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You know what? And you know what he promises Nathaniel? Look at the promise that he gives Nathaniel. John's Gospel chapter 1 verse 4, 50, 50 onwards. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under that fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than this. 
And he said to him, Most assuredly I said to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know what, you, you know what God says? You know, Nathaniel, I see you're a man who's without guile. You know what? I'm going to give you an opening into the spiritual realm. I will give you revelation. I will entrust you with my revelation, my prophecy, and you will become my apostle. You will have an open heaven, always. Because I see you don't have guile in your heart. Wow. You know, you know what he says? I believe you, Nathaniel. I believe you. I believe you. You know, it's true. Sometimes have you seen babies? Just keep staring like that into nothing and they keep smiling. I wonder. I wonder what they're smiling at. I think they're seeing angels. You know, there was one girl, uh, she's not here. I think Catherine Auntie is not here. I think she's flying to US. She's not here today. Uh, she has a granddaughter. Her name is Nathania. You know Nathania? I remember when she was young. She was like, I think, uh, less than a year old, but she was about one and a half years old. Uh, you know, she was in a home and uh, the the wind was blowing very, very, there was a rushing wind and it just, the window just, it was a glass window, just slammed shut and the glass broke and she was playing under the window and the sharp glass piece just was about to come onto her and and nothing happened and everything is, she was okay, everything just fell to her side. And the mother was in the other room, she rushed to the uh, to the bedroom and she looked at, Nathania, anything happened? And Nathania looked at her, Mama, Mama, Angel Achindi, Angel. I believe that. Because they don't, they don't lie. Because they're, after Nathaniel, not our Nathaniel, I mean, Nathaniel also, they're the most guileless. Babies are. Babies are absolutely guileless. They'll see into the spiritual realm. Their eyes are open. You know what God is telling Nathaniel? Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I believe you. Because the kingdom of God is like you. You see, people like you who are humble, like little children, for to you I will give you a hope in heaven. Remember, remember the story of Naman? Remember the story of Naman? Naman comes and says, like Pastor was saying, right? Naman comes and says, uh, I, I mean, he's expecting the, the prophet to come and uh, put his mantra, jadu, and, uh, and, 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 and heal him. And, uh, you know, this guy, God has a way to humble pride, proud people. You know what he tells? Naman, you go there, Baba, you go to Jordan River seven times. Okay. You know what happens? This guy is so upset. He's back on his way back to Syria and one of his servants will say, Lord, if you would have said something simpler, wouldn't you have done it? Come on, do it. You know what he does? Naman goes, takes off his robe. For the first time in his life, his entire platoon sees that this guy is leprous from head to toe. You should read the book of Leviticus on this. You know what happens in the book of Leviticus? Whenever somebody has got a leprous scab, he has to come to the priest. The priest will look at the scab. And he observes the scab and he says, okay, fine, seven days outside, okay, I'll see. And when he comes back and if the scab is not gone, the leprous scab is not gone, he says, you are leprous, you are unclean. On the other hand, if the guy is having scab from head to toe, you know, what does the high priest pronounce, whether it's clean or unclean? Huh? Clean! Isn't it interesting? 
The guy who's got a scab, only a scab, a part of his body is leprous. He says you're unclean. If you know, if he's not, not healed within seven days. But a guy who's leprous from head to toe, he says you're clean. You know why? Because this guy says, you know what? There is nothing good in me. I am like this from head to toe. Absolutely corrupt. You know what God says? Clean. No guile. Clean. God's ways are not always. That's exactly what happens now. Naman, Naman opens his, his, his shield, his, his armor from head He's for the first time in his life coming out in the open and telling, this is what I really am. I'm having a facade of power, but look at my sinful nature. You know what happens? Go. Go into the waters of Jordan. First time. Come out. Does it go? No. Second time? No. Third time? No. Fourth time? No. Fifth time? No. Sixth time? No. Seventh time? And he comes out. You know what happens to his skin? It becomes like the skin of a baby. Unless you are converted like little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. See? See? So, question. Are you, can God trust you? Are you sneaky? Are there sneaky people? I mean, we, we all are sneaky. I told you, right? My, my testimony is sneaky. We are very intelligent to do wrong. Very stupid to do right. Sneaky spirit. We we are sometimes, I mean not sometimes, many times, snakes. Look at this guy. Look at this uh, in Luke's gospel chapter 16. No, this Jesus says, how Jesus actually talks about people with guile. Okay? This is found in Luke's gospel chapter 16. <clears throat> Whoever can be trusted with little. In other words, if I can believe you in little things. In the same word, trust, believe. If I can trust you in little things, I can also trust you in big, big things. But if I, whoever is unbelieving or dishonest in little things is also unfaithful and dishonest in many things. So if you are not trustworthy in handling worldly, or it says unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with an open heaven? Who can trust you? You know, that is the reason why pastor keeps telling the pastor's conference every time he comes and tells the pastors, 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 ensure that you deal with money very carefully. Otherwise, you will not have an open heaven over you. You will not have revelation. You will not have nothing to give your congregation. It will be dead summons week after week from the pulpit because there is, you're not, you're not righteous with mammon. You see, think about it, no? Are we faithful in giving our tithes? Think, think about it. When, do pastors pay the tithes? Or are they exempt from the tithes? They say, we live off tithes. You know what it says in the Leviticus? The Levites, when they receive tithes, uh, their tithes from the people, they have to take a tithe of that and give it to God. And that is the reason why it says in, 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 in Hebrews, when Abraham was giving Melchizedek tithes. Levi who was in the loins of Abraham, he was paying tithes to God. And so many churches will say, tithes is old covenant, new covenant, no tithes. Who who said that? Did Abraham pay tithes before being circumcised or after being circumcised? Tell me. Right? Yeah? 
before being circumcised. It happened in, in Genesis chapter 15 or 14. He got circumcised in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness before being circumcised or after being circumcised. Hello? Before being circumcised? And he received circumcision as a sign as we heard. So, tithes was given before circumcision or after circumcision? Were we all circumcised? No. So do we have to pay tithes? Yes. Because it was before the law. See? People don't know the scripture. Okay. So he says, so many pastors don't pay tithes? And I, I, I remember my, my, my uncle, my father-in-law, he works in the village ministry. You know, says Vijay, so many village pastors are poor. You know why Vijay? They do not pay their tithes. They don't pay. Not that they don't have money. There's, God is not asking them to give money. They have 20, okay, let's say they get 10 bags of rice from their farm. They, can't they give ten, one, one bag of rice to the church? I have to teach them. And they are perpetually in debt and in need. You know why? Because they do not pay their tithes. And it is amazing. And look at the standard of God. And if you have not been trustworthy, let's read together. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? In other words, I don't believe you with property. I can't trust you. You see, I mean, many of us borrow bikes of other brothers. Cars, bikes, Shibu taught me several lessons. One of the lessons he taught me that I'm sometimes I don't. I'm ashamed. Okay, I'm ashamed. I can't lie. I remember when he came over to my home, I took him to Pastor James's place, and we had a lunch. And uh, we were supposed to go out shopping, and those days I didn't have a bike. So Pastor looked at me. He said, "How are you going?" Uh, he said, "Pastor, I don't. I think we'll take a bus." Pastor said, "Take my bike and go." Okay. So we we took Pastor's bike, and Shibu and I. Uh, all over Hyderabad, we went. And after the whole thing was over, Shibu said, Vijay, when are you returning the bike? I said, Shimona, after we've done tomorrow morning, I'll return. Come here, come here, come here. Let me take you to the petrol bunk. He took me to the petrol bunk. He opened the tank, and he said, full tank. And he said, Vijay, never, ever, ever take advantage of another brother's property. And he used it. You know what he did? He put petrol and the petrol came out. And he said, stop it, stop it now. And he unpacked it. I mean, pastor possibly, I don't know if he knows it or not. But you know, those days I learned a lesson. And sometimes I get so guilty when I use somebody else's property. And I don't fill in the gas. I get so, I feel so guilty. I said, sorry. You know what? Sorry. If it was mine, would I not fill it up? How would I take care of it? You see, so many of us borrow bikes and somebody else's property. And the other day, my landlord came to, you know, renew my, renew my license, uh, contract. He was examining the home and I told him, you know, if you think that certain things are not right and I'll repair it. I told him, I'll treat your home as my own. As my own. Whatever repair I will do. You know, you can trust me. My landlord trusts me. Actually, whenever he goes out of town, he is one, I think one of the scariest landlords actually. Whenever he goes out of town, he says, Vijay, 
hold fort. He gives the keys to my keys to his apartment. He trusts me with his home, with his property. Can you can you be trustworthy? I mean, go to your offices. How many of you are careful with the resources that you use in your offices? The computers that you use, the laptops that you use. You know, when, when I, I, I was graduating, I had to return all the equipment back. And one of the laptops got messed up. I mean, the battery got messed up. And you know what? I replaced it. I replaced everything. Everything I replaced and gave it back to my boss. He should never, ever, ever say, you know, these Christians are crooks. Never. Never. Are you careful with somebody else's resources? Really careful when you use other people's resources? Are you sneaky? You see, can you, can Jesus believe you? Does Jesus believe in you? Little things. Coming to church on time. How many of us really take that to heart? Pharisees were upset. Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. And Jesus said to him, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In other words, you are people who compare yourselves with others. You don't compare. Your your standard, who's your standard? Is it me or somebody else? That's what you know. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12, those who compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. They are fools, in other words. John's Gospel chapter 12, nevertheless many of, many even of the authorities believed in him, that is the Pharisees, but for the fear of the Jews, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogues, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see that? You see that? That's the standard. It's not God. It's men. John's Gospel chapter 5 verse 44, Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God alone. You see? So when you call God good, does he say, I believe you? Coming back now to to the young man's story, Mark's Gospel chapter 10. Let's wrap it up in a few minutes. You know the commandments, Jesus said. Do not murder. Do not murder. Do not do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Think about it. No, think about it. I mean, it never happened. One 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 preacher was saying it never happened to me. You know, think about it. After the services go, gets over, there's one guy. You know, for example, let's say uh, Akshat. Akshat uh, comes running to me. Pastor, tell me, good pastor, that was a great message. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I look at him and say, Baba. What a genuine man of God. You know, Jesus, I don't believe you. You know, Jesus will not get, not get fooled with flattery, you see. Yeah, it never happened to me. Think about it, no? If it happens here in this, in this congregation, one guy comes and says, oh, what shall I do to inherit? Never happened to me, actually. I'm sure it will not happen to many other preachers also. Oh, what shall I do? It's very, very fervent. No, this guy is running towards Jesus. He's bowing, bowing before him. And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Now think about it, no? murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. I mean, the most difficult is honor your father and mother. You know, I mean, the, the, the obedience is tested when, you, when you're asked to obey the tough commandments. Okay, if I, if I tell, uh, for example, let's say, uh, Rishi tells Nathaniel when he's going to church, Nathaniel, when you go to church, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not murder. So, he goes to school and comes back and he says, Papa, 
I did not steal. I did not commit adultery. I did not murder. What will, what will Rishi say? Are a fantastic son. No, no, no. He will not say that. He will say, Nathaniel, don't stay late in school. Don't play for too long. Come back home. Early. And if he does that, then he is really obedient. But this guy, you see the impeccable nature of this guy. He honored his father and mother and Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Loved him. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youths. Jesus looked at him and he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. And I'll tell you something. There is one thing in each one of us God is pointing today. One thing. One thing. You lack one thing. Maybe one thing. You took money from somebody and you conveniently forgot. I, I know people in the church who are so sneaky, they borrow the money and they act as if they are Ajnabi. They will come and stand before you. They will smile. They will give you coffee. They will give you, but they will never talk about the money that they have to return. Have you seen such people? They will never talk. They will very, very nicely. They will beat around the bush and they will do small talk, but never one thing. I'm asking you this question today. Ask just before God. Have you taken money from somebody and have you conveniently forgotten? Have you offended somebody and you have not even asked for forgiveness? You have come to church and even put your tithes and your offerings? One thing, always one thing, God will always point out. And I believe that whenever you come to church, God will look at that one thing and he will say, you know what, one thing, one thing you will lack. One thing. (sighs) What is that? Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Disheartened by that saying, he went away sorrowful. Matthew chapter 19. Truly I say to you, it is so difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. When the disciple heard this, they were astonished. You know what they said? Who then can be? You know what Jesus was not saying? I am not talking about salvation here. I am only talking about rewards. No, Jesus is not saying. This is about salvation. You know what he is saying? That one thing can put you out of heaven. You can be an impeccable guy of impeccable impeccable character, but there's one thing that will take you out. Out! Well, one thing. Look at what it says in uh, Corinth, first, second, first Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 to, uh, verses 9 to 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. People who watch pornography, adultery, people who are greedy, revilers, swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. One thing, one thing. Today, this morning, God is possibly looking, looking at your hearts and saying, I'm looking, I'm looking at one thing in your life. One thing will become a stumbling block. It's amazing in the book of Ezekiel. You know what it says? If a righteous man sins, even if there is a one sin that he commits, all the righteousness that he has committed, that he has done, will not be counted against him. And the sin that he has committed, he will die because of that. One thing. You keep him out of heaven. And this morning, even as we come to the table, let's ask God, no? Well, there was this one guy who was a last 
Passover, Jesus was celebrating with, with his disciples. And Jesus wanted to trust himself with everybody. And he washed this, the feet of the disciples. And this is what happens in John's Gospel chapter 13. I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I'm, whom I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he who I am. Who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples started, stared at one another and at, at loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and asked and said, Ask him which one this, which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas. You know what he was actually telling Simon? Simon, I still believe you. You know what Simon in his heart? As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. And then you know the story. The question therefore today morning, this morning Jesus is asking us, no? Does he believe in me? Does he believe in me? Yes, we all believe in Jesus, but does Jesus believe in me? We need to judge ourselves, you see, constantly. Are there areas in, our, in my life I'm sneaky, I'm hiding? I'm running away? Trying to cover it up with Lord of religion? God is pointing out saying that one thing and you will never put that away? Even as we prepare ourselves this morning, I, I just want to worship him, Pastor James, if you can come and lead us in communion. Sometimes we... forget the seriousness of eternity. One day you will realize nothing else matters other than your salvation. Even if you lose everything else on earth and you're secure in your salvation, you still haven't lost anything. Even if you gain everything on earth and lost your salvation, you have lost everything. There's something which we need to be absolutely sure of. Absolutely sure of. Now there's this false doctrine that has floated around for a long time which says once saved, always saved. Which is not true. You go through scripture, it is not true. You have to keep on walking, growing in your salvation. How do you know How do you know? How do you know you are saved? How do you know your baby is alive? The first thing he used was the that craving for milk. Like his pastor Vijay was sharing, I remember the day I got saved. You know, when I got saved, I did not have a Bible. I did not have a I did not have a Bible. 
we had a bible in the home which was kept in a very highly exalted place but never read never read you go to that bible it's with me now because nobody else in the family needs it so i have it as a relic it's a catholic dual version you will see that uh, the date on it is it was presented to my father when he got married so it's 1959 it is written on that but we, i never read it i was very careful to avoid it all the days when i was unsaved but when i got saved i did not have a bible but the eu library had a good news bible okay so i went to the eu library and borrowed the good news bible and that's like him i read for days without end the question is do you crave do you crave for milk like we keep hearing that same thing just because you sit in a garage doesn't make you a car just because you sat in a church for 10 years doesn't make you a believer there are signs for a believer can you all look at me and smile no 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 nice smile when i see your teeth yes hepsiva just like that show me your teeth all of you please show me your teeth oh, you all have teeth So you were not supposed to continue in a diet of milk you're supposed to eat meat If God intended man to live on milk alone you would have just gums and not teeth Right If God wanted us only to live on milk he wouldn't have given us teeth gums is enough you don't need teeth for milk Teeth is for meat So if you're still drinking milk of God's word there's something really problematic with you You should come to LHL and join there because we have five, six kids who are only on a diet of milk, and they are not even given through their mouth; they are injected through their side, straight into the stomach because they cannot tolerate anything else. Understand salvation? Be very serious about it, because there are tens and millions sitting in churches on a diet of milk for their whole life. It's a sign. you are not saved if you are living on milk all your life that means you are not saved you just got religion you just got religion you are not saved like i said the twinkling of an eye when death comes in that's not the time to make up your mind and to be sure god gives us at this time when we are living to be very very sure that you know you are saved you know you are graduating in your salvation you're moving from milk to semi solids to meat and that even meat doesn't satisfy you you are more and more tougher meat because you know your soul cannot be fed with that old diet anymore that is why the second generation when they entered into the promised land and they were circumcised they ate the barley and the corn of that land because manna wouldn't satisfy their soul anymore manna had kept them healthy manna had kept them strong manna had nourished their soul in the wilderness but not in the promised land there was a different diet for them in the promised land so get these things very 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 clear because that's how you know you are saved because there is a hunger there's a craving that's why we all listen to joy lost in and all years ago you're still listening to joy lost in maybe you need to get a spiritual checkup that is not even milk that is watered down milk so even the preachers you hear i'm talking about outside the church you should listen 
is changing because inside your soul your soul is changing it's not satisfied with that old milk anymore you are graduating that's how you know you are growing but that alone is not just because you eat food that doesn't mean you are growing next thing he said pastor said you don't practice sin anymore you sin you may fall occasionally but you are not on this practicing bent of the same sin you're continuing in that scripture says anyone who's born of god does not practice sin because sin cannot have dominion over you it cannot have dominion over you because you are no longer under the law you are under grace and sin cannot have dominion over you that's how you know because there are mockers and scoffers in every church not just this to every church who will make these random statements like who told you if you smoke pot you will go to hell i tell you i tell you if you keep on smoking pot drinking alcohol you will go to hell because scripture says there's no place for drunkards in heaven there's no place for them in heaven heaven is a holy place like i said heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people That's why God says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these things shall be added unto you. You know what you are saying in simple English? If you take care of the inside, I will take care of the outside. This is people are so worried about the outside. This is you don't you can't change your outside. I can. But there's one thing you can do. You can take care of the inside. You take care of the inside. I will take care of all those things that you are worried about in the outside. But you don't take care of the inside ultimately you will end up with neither the inside nor the outside. Then your attitude scripture says all those who are born of God they love. They love they're fighting this thing about how to love their brother and how to love their sister. They constantly fight the resentment, the jealousy, the pride, the anger. They're constantly fighting saying that I will not allow these things from loving my brother. And much of his parables were connected with that. this another one which pastor uh, vijay didn't have the time final thing in one john scripture says everyone who is born of god overcomes the world the world doesn't overcome you you overcome the world you overcome and you realize as days and weeks and months go by the world has very little effect on you that's not enough to be a testimony you also realize you have an effect on the world it's not enough because we are not called to be sadhu sitting in himalayas no but the world has no effect on me no god says i have sent you right into the world where the world is not able to say you have no effect on me daniel and joseph affected the entire empire but they refused the empire to affect them That's what God is talking about a generation who will arise who will affect their world that's what salvation is because what God has put into us is his very spirit and the spirit will always have a witness what he put into us is not something negligible into us he has put us his very spirit we are born of his spirit And when Jesus sends his disciples breathing over them what he says as the father sent me I sent you same no difference you says I was born of the spirit you're born of the spirit filled with the spirit you to wait and get filled with the spirit and he says go 
and turn the world upside down. And you should be turning your little classrooms, your colleges, your offices, you should be impacting them. And you can. That's what salvation is. So this morning, as we come to the table, table that brings healing, that brings life, I'll ask Pastor Vijay, please. Prepare your hearts, because even this, you knew first Sunday was first, today is the first, first Sunday. If you're if you were planning to partake at the Lord's table, you come prepared. If you come prepared, it brings healing. It brings strength. Scripture says, it brings an awakening in your spirit because he says, many people who partook of without being prepared, Scripture says, they are weak, they are sick, and they have fallen asleep. So if you come prepared and partake of it, you become strong, you receive healing, and there is an awakening in your spirit. So don't come with the negative. Come with the positive. Lord, I have come prepared. And I believe what your word says. I believe what your word says. I came sick in the body, but I'm believing this will bring healing for me. I was a little asleep last week in my spirit. I believe there is going to be a quickening in my inner man today. I was a little weak, Lord, but I believe I'll be strong because these very emblems represents your body and your blood. I believe. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. So let's go as a prepared people to the table. you were forsaken I'm accepted you were a command I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again I'm forgiven because you were Forsaken, I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. first Sunday, seventh month, we have heard his word. We've been hearing his word 
for so many weeks, months. It's a good fight. The destruction at the building site itself is a sign of the construction that is taking place. If God is destroying things in your life, it's because He's building something. That's a sign of salvation. Church at Ephesus, Jesus said, Repent and come back to your first love. Because love is a sign of salvation. And he says, If you do not, I will come and remove that lamp. Because we have to fight this salvation out till the very end. Church at Pergamum, he said, Be faithful even unto death. I'm not going to rescue you from this situation. You need to be faithful till the very end. Church at Sardis, he said, There is very few among you whose clothes are not soiled. And he said, They shall walk with me. And I will give them robes of righteousness. And I will never blot their names off. Go through tonight. Go through the seven letters. Jesus himself spoke through John to us. And realize there is nothing more important in life than our salvation. And be continuously working on it. And I promise you, God will work the rest out. We work it in, He works it out. The salvation of God touches every facet of your life. That's why we tell young people, it's not your marks. It's not your marks. It's how you study that matters to God. It's how you study. It's all God is looking for. Because those who are saved and are walking in their salvation, they are very faithful in how they study. That's all God is looking for. The world needs marks. God needs character. The kingdom of God, one day we'll see, is full of people who allow God's character to be built in them. So never stop fighting that fight because it is a good fight. It's a good fight. And at the end we should be able to say, I kept my faith. Father, this morning we just come to you. First day, seventh month. We just thank you, Lord. Help us to see through your eyes that the struggles we face is part of that fight. Every one of us. Everyone, I pray, Father, are able to see those struggles, they have a spiritual origin. Because there is a battle for our souls. There is an enemy who is after the souls of your children. There is an enemy who is fighting for the soul of those who are saved. So they do not progress. There is a battle over the marriages in this church. There's a battle over the children in this church. It's a battle over the jobs, the workplaces where your children work. 
There's a battle over the testimony of your children as students. It's a battle. But we are not alone in this battle. We never told us to fight this battle in our strength. You told us to battle this in your power. In your ways. And I pray this seventh month we will taste victory. Everyone. Even when they fall, they will fall only to rise. Because your word says the righteous man will fall seven times. But every time he will rise, we will not lie there wallowing in our sin, in our self-pity and our misery. But we will rise up because you rose. We will rise because you spoke over our lives more than conquerors. When I speak over your children, your people today, more than conquerors. Blessed to be a blessing. Saved and working out our salvation. Justified, yet being sanctified. Fearful, yet fearless. Weak, yet strong. Life of a believer is a contradiction in itself, Lord. The world will not understand, but we see. We see how you make a people who are not a people, the very people of God. How you make a nation that was a nation of slaves and lead them into the promised land. Yes, Lord. We were slaves to sin one day. Today you call us children of the living God. Which dominion over sin. Dominion over the old slave masters. For behold I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions. And they shall have by no means harm you. For in a very short while the God of peace shall trample Satan under your feet. These are promises. We have dominion not only over sin. We have dominion over the old slave masters. Help us to see that we don't flee before the devil. The devil flees before us. The world doesn't impact us. But we are sent out to impact this world. Even the youngest will impact the world. That even when our babies are taken out, the people will see the hand of God upon our babies. Set apart. Commit your church into thy hands, O Lord. May your hand rest upon everyone. The greater their struggle, I pray the more they experience your power. The greater their weakness, the more they experience your strength. And those who are practicing sin, pray there will be a churning inside them. Pray you make them restless, whether young or old, 
whether it is a substance or whether it is pride in the inner man let there be a churning inside let them not rest in their sin let them be restless in their sin until they vomit it out go before us lord we can't walk alone if you are not before us we are without direction go before us and help us to keep our eyes closely eyes on you that we tread the steps you have taken so that we know there is no shadow of turning go before us strengthen us empower us heal us cover us protect us and breathe your love into our hearts into our lives into our homes and then through us into every place you take us you set us the love of god may be manifested abroad through us oh lord thank you father let there be a breakthrough in the lives of people who are waiting for jobs for a breakthrough in their homes in their families in their relationships let this be a month of breakthroughs oh lord bal perasam breakthrough for us God of restoration restore what the thief has stolen by faith father now we lift up holy hands we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever for in jesus name we pray amen the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen